Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Recover with Carly podcast. I am so looking forward to today's conversation. Um, If you can't tell, I'm trying to mix up my intros a little bit because I say the same thing every single time, which is I'm so excited for today's conversation or I'm so excited for today's guest. But I have to say, like, I really pride myself in being able to find these amazing humans all over (laughs) the place. And so I am always very, very excited when I have guests on the podcast. And so when I say that, I genuinely mean it. Um, And today I have a special guest. Her name is Naomi Hart. So welcome, Naomi. Hi, how are you? Thank you so much for having me. Of course. I'm so excited to have you. I've been following you on social media for quite some time. And then we met one time in person. Um, I don't know if you remember. It was at a Knicks event. Yes. Yeah. In LA. Um, So we met in person once and it was incredible. You're amazing. I've loved following you ever since then. And I can't wait for listeners to learn a little bit more about you and hear your story today. So thank you so much for being here. Yes, I'm excited. Thank you so much. So to get started, do you mind sharing with listeners a little bit about yourself, who you are, what you do, all that fun stuff? Yes, um, I am Naomi. I go by Naomi Hearts on social media. I am a full-time content creator. I love, love, love comedy and bringing comedy to the forefront of everything I do, just because I feel like besides the idea of like self-deprecating humor, I really, really appreciate the fact that I'm bringing awareness to what people already say. And that's how I kind mm-hmm. of look at it. And so it just really, it really excites me to live my life unapologetically fat. And so that's really what I do. And I love it. And I think one of the first things, one of the first videos I ever found of you was a Fuponza smash video, <laughs> which I believe I'm saying it correctly. Yes. Um, correct me if I'm wrong. But where did that concept come from for listeners who, well, one, if you want to describe what I'm what I'm talking about, and two, where that concept came from. For sure. So honestly, the term, I, I came up with it on social media with people getting confused about what a fupa is. And it's kind mm-hmm. of like, even growing up, they would always say people's stomach that sags is a fupa and that's not what it is. And so mm-hmm. I kind of took the incorrect term and then stomach in Spanish, which is panza, and put it together and it's fupanza smash. So it's kind of like you're using your stomach to like smash things and it just kind of took over. How would you describe to someone a fupa then? A fupa is under the stomach, but it's above... Okay your private area. And that is what a fupa is, that pouch of fat. And I think that that's going to be new information for a lot of people because (laughs) I, even myself, like that idea of a fupa is usually like, I think we, we visualize it as being like that lower belly fat, not necessarily Mm -hmm. a separation in your stomach and your fupa, but they are technically, I guess they're two different things. It's, below your belly, um, and above your private. So that's listeners. I hope you, that's probably new news to, to a lot of you who are listening. Yeah. You now officially know what a fupa is. And now you also can refer to a fuponza smash and you can do that in honor of Naomi. <laughs> yes, please. I welcome it. 
I love that. I love that. And I think that that's one thing that I appreciated so much about your content was that there was this humor aspect to it. Um, But there was also this, like you said, this unapologetic acceptance of existing in a fat body and like accepting your body for what it is. And I'm curious if that's something that has been recent or if you've kind of always been unapologetically yourself. It's it's hard to pinpoint. I feel like it's been a journey and that's a big word that I use often. I'm like, I feel like Mm -hmm. life is a journey. Self-love is a journey. Accepting who you are is a journey. And so for me, I wasn't always confident. And I think that came with obvious bullying as a plus size person, as someone that was in the LGBTQ community. Like it was, it was something that was constant. But I think once I started my transition, I don't know what it was, but I just didn't allow people to tell me anything that was negative. Mm -hmm. And so that really helped me a lot on my journey of like self-love and acceptance to just not be afraid of what other people think. Like Mm -hmm. how hard must it be to live in a life where we allow people's opinions of us dictate how we live. And is that something that you learned from family members or were there other people in your life who were also kind of living that way as well that taught you that way of kind of reacting to the negative comments? I think it's difficult because it's like growing up in a Latina household I think fat phobia is something that's like that runs rampant. It, it just mm-hmm. I think it comes down it um from generations, um especially with like female figures, and so that was something that was really hard on me for the longest time. But I've learned that as I get older and I am finally on this journey of like self acceptance and like loving who I am and not being afraid of what other people think. I kind of realized that me doing that for myself not only heals me, but also heals the people in my life because they're like seeing, they're seeing what they wish they could have done, you know? And Mm -hmm. I know that Mm -hmm. it's different for them and it's still hard. Like they, they struggle with the word fat even. And it's wild to me because fat isn't a negative word, but we've been taught to think Mm -hmm. that. And so being able to help them on that journey and help them realize that it's okay to be who they are, like is what keeps me moving. And are those conversations you have with your family? Are you actively engaging in conversation about that? Or is it more so you kind of doing your thing, being unapologetically yourself, and they're just kind of watching and learning? Um, Or is there conversation happening? Yeah, I I think it's a mixture of both. I think in the beginning, we weren't having those conversations. And then like when I started to realize how it was helping them and being able to have those conversations with them and like discussing that it's okay to be who they are, I think it helped a lot. Like just seeing my mom's style develop from Mm -hmm. not being confident at all to kind of gaining confidence on this journey with me, I think has really been exciting to watch. Yeah, yeah. And I think that, you know, I talk about this a lot with clients as a therapist, this idea of breaking this generational cycle, recognizing these beliefs that our parents have, um, especially across different cultures, right? Keeping in mind that every culture 
believes different things and looks at things differently. And so being able to have those conversations with family can be so hard, but also incredibly rewarding, right? To be like, okay, I'm kind of helping my family to learn something different and to look at things a little differently than maybe they have or their parents had or their grandparents had. And it feels good to be that person who is kind of interrupting that cycle, breaking that cycle. I agree. I really, it it makes me almost emotional because it's kind of like, for me, how I look at it is what we're going through and we're in a generation where like therapy is welcomed and like a generation Mm -hmm. where we are allowing ourselves to heal versus looking at them and it was the generation that really didn't welcome therapy. It was kind of shunned almost. I think for me, it makes me emotional because it's like, you you see them putting in that effort to accept their body and not like succumb to diet culture and like pressures of society. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you you feel proud of them for doing almost the opposite of what they've been told for 50 plus years to do and yeah. how to look and how to think and it I think oftentimes having those conversations too can be a really great way to connect with our families, yeah. you know, and to build a stronger bond with each other and doing that work together. Unfortunately, not everyone is lucky enough to have a family that's willing to have those conversations. But you know, it doesn't mean it's not worth trying. (laughs) And you know, hopefully, one day they'll, you know, for those listening who have tried having these conversations, and it hasn't been successful, I think the biggest tip and Naomi, I'm curious if you agree on this, but just continuing to be yourself and advocating what you feel is like important to you and hoping that your family and your friends will understand why that's important to you and why that conversation and unlearning is so important. And maybe eventually they'll jump on board and they'll understand, but we can't, we can't force them into that. I know that's a really hard, (laughs) a hard thing to accept. I I feel like as I get older, I'm parenting my parents so much more. (laughs) Just a little bit. I'm like, I am now parenting my parents. So awesome. (laughs) So what has your journey been like? You mentioned experiencing some bullying and comments from classmates and friends and family and, and stuff like that. What has your journey been like in terms of your body and your relationship with your body? The journey for me, um, has been, I guess, really really good I'm trying to find words to Uh like explain it 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 started out really hard and I think it's again like just the things that you hear as like a a fat person living in society that doesn't necessarily welcome us um Mm -hmm. the journey has been really good because I was able to dismantle these thoughts in my head that I had to be thin or that I had to lose weight to fit in and being able to go from like always wearing sweatpants as like a comfort thing to like wearing sweatpants as like a fashion thing, like just the mindset shift, you know, mm-hmm. um, has just been really helpful. And it it isn't an easy journey because it's like a lot of like deep diving into yourself and like realizing that all of these thoughts you have in your head aren't your own necessarily. I think they're thoughts that have been put into your head from what you've seen and what you've heard. And Mm -hmm. so once you really start to like get into the deep stuff, it's hard, but it's also exciting because it's like, what's next? You know what I mean? It's like you are 
tackling these hard situations and coming out a better and stronger person because of it. And when do you feel like that shift started happening for you? I want to say for me, it really was high school. So Mm -hmm. I think once I started my transition, which was in junior year, like from junior year to senior year is when I started to transition. That's when I really started to find this confidence in myself that I didn't know that I could ever have. Just like embracing who I was as a woman, embracing who I was as a fat woman, as a trans woman, there was just something so powerful about just being myself and really not giving a fuck about Mm -hmm. what anyone else had to say. And I think when it clicked for me that, you know, like I, I am a woman, like I am in the wrong body and like, I need to take this journey. A lot of what I heard was, wasn't even transphobic comments. It was fat phobic comments, which is wild Mm -hmm. to me. It was like, yeah you're never going to find love as like a fat woman. Don't you want to lose weight before you transition into a woman? Like there was just, it was so wild to me that those were the comments that were said, which obviously like transphobic comments are wild too. But the fact that that is what was being said over transitioning versus the actual transition, you know? And so I just, I, yeah, once it started to take effect, I was really a lot more comfortable in my skin. Yeah, that is so wild that, that conversation or concern would be solely based on the size of your body, right? Like people wanting to make sure that you would be accepted and loved as a thin woman, right? Not even, and not even anything related to transitioning, but solely related to the size of your body. And I think that that is a true testament to how fucked up our society is that that is that seems to be the main focus for so many people and also to bring up something like that during such an important time of your life to kind of put more pressure on you when you're you're kind of already navigating this the space of transitioning to add on like okay well now I have to be concerned about the size of my body. And so, you know, I'm sure I can't imagine how difficult that would have been mentally um, and emotionally on yourself. It, it definitely was draining. It was a lot of energy and time spent on it. But I also was like, I've been fat my whole life. I experienced mm-hmm. life as like a fat male and as a fat woman. And like, I have experienced fat phobia on both ends of the spectrum. And so I wasn't really worried about it, fortunately, um, as much. I think I was just more worried about being able to walk this earth as the person I was meant to be. Do you feel like the the fat phobia was more prevalent when you came out as trans and when you started your transition versus when you, before you did? Yeah, it's hard because I 100% think yes. I, before I transitioned, like, I did experience fat phobia and like comments that were rough. Mm -hmm. I don't think I experienced it as hard though until I transitioned. And I think Mm -hmm. it's just these unrealistic standards that we have on bodies, but also like femme presenting people's bodies. That's really where the fat phobia runs. And I, um, I know what it is. It's, It's society putting this narrative that you have to be thin. It's society putting this narrative that you have to look a certain way to like be desirable in the gaze of a man. But it's kind of like, to experience it real time, I think that also was such a like a mind game for me. 
what did, I mean, I'm assuming it kind of goes back to what you were sharing before about this idea of just learning to be unapologetically yourself. And Mm -hmm. I think that is, you know, one of the most empowering tools that we can, that we can use um, to combat any sort of like isms or misogyny or bigotry or anything like that is being able to fully accept ourselves and know that we are worthy no matter the size of our body or our gender ethnicity or, you know, social socioeconomic status or anything like that. But it's hard because we live in a society that teaches us the exact opposite of that. (laughs) That teaches us literally that all of our worth stems from our physical appearance. And, you know, I think it makes people like you and accounts like yours so much more important because it gives individuals a space to understand, oh, I can show up and be unapologetically myself. And there will be people who accept me for that. And those people are going to be very special people. And I think that's a really, a really special role to play. And I, I hope you understand the impact you make positively on so many people. Thank you. I appreciate it. So you mentioned also a little bit earlier, just the difficulties of navigating body image, fat phobia Mm -hmm. within a Latino household. And I'm curious, were there parts of your culture that made your journey, whether that was your transition or whether that was just your journey with your body and your body image feel easier or parts that Mm -hmm. felt made it feel more difficult, either Mm -hmm. one? Or both. I feel like it's been, it was a lot harder specifically because of the fact that like fat phobia, again, towards like the women in the households typically is just, it's just so prominent. It's just there. And it's, that was something that was really difficult because it's like for me, even now, even if they're not being fat phobic towards me, but like just hearing a comment like, oh, I don't want to eat right now. I'm going to diet. Or like, just like, you know, that those, those conversations, it's like, it's not something I necessarily want to hear. And it's something mm-hmm. that I hear quite often. And so I think that was really, really difficult for me because it's like, oh, should I be eating this? You know, like that's how you start getting those thoughts in your head. So it definitely was a lot harder for sure. I think also transitioning, I got very fortunate because my culture isn't really known for being as supportive towards trans people, but like my family was. So I got really... Mm-hmm. Um, lucky to have a family that was so supportive as mine because it was just mm-hmm. easier to make that that transition. And did you find yourself experiencing transphobia or hate from other people within your culture? Um, I did. I did. Um, I did. For, okay, so like from family, it's you know how you have your first cousins, your third cousins, like my my grandma's sisters and like her her siblings. They weren't really supportive. They were kind of like, they would just talk or like gossip. But my grandmother was really supportive. So that was really cool to have. But I definitely experienced it um, from other ends, just not like immediate family. And how did you combat that? And the reason I ask is, you know, for anyone who's listening, who mm-hmm. is going through something similar, who's, who's navigating unsupportive individuals in their life I think I allowed myself to feel those feelings I think a lot of Mm -hmm. times people bottle up feelings and bottle up emotions and carry the weight of 
not being able to feel those emotions. And it's just so exhausting and it's so tiring. And it's like, we feel even more alone um, because we're not allowing ourselves to process what we're feeling. Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. for me, what helped me get through it was just being open with myself and having those conversations with myself about like, yes, they're your family. Yes, they're from a different time and it's difficult, but they're not people that necessarily need to be in your life, you know? And so it was just being able to have conversations with myself. And like, even like with my name change, I know that my family didn't do it maliciously, but it was difficult for a while to get them to get my name correct or to get my pronouns correct. And I, back then being a teenager and not having patience, I would like kind of snap and like correct them quickly, but not necessarily in a way that was um, empathetic, you know? And it's like, it's hard because when you're transitioning, you are transitioning for yourself, but there are also people that are on this journey with you. And I think patience is key. I think there's Mm -hmm. a way to tell when people are being malicious and trying to purposely like dead name you or misgender you versus people that are genuinely trying. And like, we just have to be a little bit more patient. And do you have advice on identifying (laughs) the difference in those two? Because I think that can be a difficult thing to recognize, right? Like, recognizing who's being malicious and who is not being malicious. So I'm curious if there's advice there on how to recognize that. Yeah, I think for me, how I could tell was like, when I would correct them, they wouldn't get defensive. They would be like, oh, quick, like so they would apologize and fix it or whatever. Like they would be on it. Um, and eventually they got it. Like, yeah, it was difficult because it's like, it took, let's say it took them three months to get it, but eventually they got it. And there's people that you can tell, like, when you correct them, they'll get defensive. They'll be like, oh, like, I'm not going to call you that. Or they'll like purposely do it and like look at you or like expect the reaction, especially if you're someone that's reactionary, <laughs> like I was. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like, that's how I kind of was able to tell who was making an effort and genuinely felt bad and would try to correct it and who was just trying to get under my skin. Yes. And I think that's super helpful to understand because I think, yeah, looking at someone's reaction to your request or correction Mm -hmm. um, tells us so much about kind of the intention of that person. I think that's a great, a great piece of advice in identifying who is who's being harmful and who is really trying, but they're just taking a little bit extra time. (laughs) Yes. You mentioned that you used to be reactionary. Are you still reactionary or is this something you've worked through? It's definitely something that I'm still working on. It's not as bad as it was. I, I have learned that on this journey of like mental health and like understanding myself as a person, not everything needs a reaction. Um, and I think we live in a in a world where a lot of people are reactionary, at least from from my from my world, from my family, from what I've seen. Um, we're very reactionary. And I think like if we just took the time to take a step back, think about what we want to say, process what just happened, and then move forward and have like that conversation or not, whatever the decision is, I think it would just be a lot easier versus like reacting. And I think that has helped me a lot. And I think that's another unlearning or breaking of that generational cycle that you're going through, right? It's not just 
that fat phobia that you're, you know, trying to break this generational cycle of, but it's also the reactionary (laughs) side, right, of your family and, and having those conversations with family members and saying like, hey, we don't have to be upset with each other. Let's take a step back and maybe attempt this conversation at a time when we all feel a bit more regulated than we currently do. (laughs) I feel like that's a tool. I use that tool so much. We call it the stop skill uh, or the 90 second rule. It's something I use with a lot of clients. Like stop is an acronym for stop, take a step back, observe and proceed. It's used a lot Mm -hmm. with reactionary people or people who get angry very quickly. Um, And fun fact, we only exist in dysregulation. Our brain only exists in dysregulation for 90 seconds. And so if you give yourself 90 seconds to recollect yourself before responding, you are going to be reacting not so much out of emotion that maybe you would have been reacting out of within that 90 seconds. So that's, you know, that's a tool I use a lot with clients for listeners. If you need a tool to help you take a step back before you react. Or there's a slogan for you. Take a step back before you react. <laughs> um, I hope that's helpful. It's helpful for me. So I love it. <laughs> I think so too. Um, you've mentioned your journey with body image, journey with your body, fat phobia, all of that. But you've also mentioned your journey with mental health. This is a topic that comes up a lot on this podcast. We are a mental health eating disorder body image podcast. And I'm curious to hear a little bit about what your journey with mental health has looked like for you. Definitely been a journey. I think that for myself, understanding like my feelings and emotions specifically has been the most beneficial to me because again, with like the reaction or anything, I'm able to stop and take a break and process my emotions, process my feelings and process my reaction. And it it's hard because like, I think for me, the person that I used to fight with the most um, was my mom. And I think it's because like most mother-child relationship, um, at least for me, like we're very similar. And so we tend to like bicker and fight often. Um, and just learning how to just, when we're getting into it, like relax and breathe and not get into it has been so helpful. And like, even in like my relationship, like my, my, um, with my husband, um, that has also been super beneficial too, because it's kind of like, sometimes we're just having a day and like, we just had a day with someone else, but your partner's the person there. You don't necessarily Mm -hmm. need to take it out on them. Take a break, take a step back realize that the, that your issues are not with the person you're with the issues are with someone else but you know so it, it's been a journey it's been a lot but mm-hmm. I I think mental health is a constant journey I think there's no getting off of this ride I think like we're always on it and it sounds like you've been like pretty emotionally mature since like quite a young age like just the just the fact that you have been able to be unapologetically yourself from such a young age, I think is such a testament to who you are um, as an individual. And I'm curious if mental health was a topic of conversation in your home growing up, or if it was kind of a taboo, not talked about topic. With my family specifically, it wasn't necessarily something that was talked about, but I wish that it was because I do feel like a lot of 
adults in my family are going through life without therapy, are going through life without, Mm -hmm. like, you know, going to get checked up and, like, check up on things. Like, for me, for a while, I was, like, I always thought there was something wrong with me. And then I realized, like, when I went, I had ADHD. And so I just, for me, I just wish, like, my mom would go and, like, just take the time to Mm -hmm. talk to someone, even if it's not me. Because, you know, sometimes people don't want to talk to their kids. Like, parents don't want to talk to their kids about their problems they're going through. And I get it. But, like, I, I feel like a lot of her problems would be solved if she just took the time to talk to someone. At least for me, that's how it was. And so that is something that I wish we did more. Like, that as just collectively as a whole. Like, our family, we don't really... The older generation um, does not talk or do mental health at all, but all of the the younger ones, like the new gen, we do. We have therapy, mm-hmm. you know, we get diagnosed, like we, we, we take mm-hmm. it very seriously because it's something that we should be taking seriously. Our mental health is our health. It's important. And I think that, you know, that kind of circles back to what we were talking about earlier in terms of like being that example and hoping that one day they'll catch on and they'll, you know, want to take that step. I think it's really hard specifically with mental health and therapy to like, you can't, you can almost like force a kid to go to therapy. Like a parent can kind of be like, Hey, you're going to therapy or like an adult can get like court mandated therapy, but it's really, really hard to force someone to go to therapy an adult. And when they're forced to be there, there's probably not a lot happening and they're probably very closed <laughs> off. Um, yeah. So it's hard to have to sit back and be like, oh, I know that so much you would feel relieved in so many ways if you just took that step. Um, yes. I feel that I'm a therapist and my parents don't even go to therapy, which is wild <laughs> to me. <laughs> I'm like, you all would be so much like you would feel so much weight lifted off of your shoulders yeah. if you just allowed yourself that space to just get it all off your chest and talk about it with no judgment. But, you know, I feel like with that generation, it definitely is still a very strong stigma Mm -hmm. and shame associated with mental health um, or shame of like sharing any like familial issues with Mm -hmm. a stranger. Like, Oh, we don't shit. We don't talk about this. We keep this to ourselves. This stays in the family type of thing. Um, but I, you know, I'm so happy to hear that you and, you know, whether it's siblings or cousins or, you know, the younger generation in your family are in it together in terms of going to therapy and talking about mental health and being an example to the older generation, whether they choose to do something with that or they don't. Yeah. It's hard, but I think it's almost brought us closer because it's like we kind of, I don't have siblings. I've only had cousins, but all of my cousins are really close. And mm-hmm. so we, it's it's been able to bring us together in ways that almost feels like we're siblings and just having someone to talk to besides a therapist is great because like we'll talk about like our journeys and our process and our steps and like how we've been able to grow as people and like look back at how we were and how we are now and like it's it's pretty cool to have that with someone was overcoming that stigma for you difficult was there hesitation for you when you when you first started choosing to 
open up about your mental health? I think so. I think there was because, again, coming from a family that wasn't as open to it, even now, was really difficult for me because I had to go to therapy to transition. And so that's how I got into therapy and mental health and having those discussions because up to then, I didn't know. Like, I wasn't educated Mm -hmm. on what mental health was and how we can, like, heal our soul and, like, understand um, that there is more to the reason why we are the way we are. And going to therapy and, like, having those sessions and talking and, like, being able to just cry or laugh or have just conversations and realizing, like, oh, like it's all clicking. It's all coming together. It's like a big puzzle. Like that's really what got me into it. So like, I have Mm -hmm. a lot to thank my transition for, but like, that was one, like me being able to go to therapy and like having that therapist and talking and building that connection with mental health was really great. Yeah. I love that. I love, I love hearing a successful story of therapy Mm -hmm. (laughs) because they're not all, they're not all successful and like not to blame the client. I think there's a lot of clinicians out there who are not informed and there can be a lot of harm caused in therapy. But for anyone listening who is hesitant to start therapy, just know that there are amazing options out there. There There's so many, so many clinicians, especially now with a lot of therapy being virtual, right? Like you can, you can find therapists all over whatever state you're in, and just know that it just takes time to get comfortable with that person and to, to mm-hmm. start to feel change within yourself. But it's always 100% worth it. I agree. It is definitely worth it. So we've talked a lot about family and impact yeah. family has had on mental health and body image and the support that you've received and all of that. And you are a full-time content creator. You are online, you're on TikTok, you're on Instagram, YouTube, you are all over the place. And with that, I think we all know comes trolls, bullying, negative comments. It is like a dark hole of (laughs) hate. And so I'm curious if you've seen a shift or if you saw a shift in your mental health when you started social media. And if it kind of took some time to reconnect with your skills and who you are and getting back to a good solid space mentally, or if it always felt like you had a good grasp on it. Honestly, I feel like when I started off on social media and like I first started making content, and I don't know if the pandemic had something to do with it because I started in 2020, but it was a lot easier to make content. And Mm -hmm. I say that with, I think a lot, especially because with the pandemic and the stress, I know a lot of people were gaining weight. (laughs) And I know we, it felt like we were moving forward in the body positivity space, the fat liberation movement. Like it just felt like we were making strides. And then come 2023 and like we went completely backwards. And so for me, it's like when I started making content, like I really didn't have as much stress or anxiety as I do now. There were always comments, but I learned to kind of like make reactionary videos with funny reactions, like not not ones that are like, <gasps> no, like for me, it was like funny reaction ones because it's like, try harder. Like if you're going to like insult me, try harder. But I think the ones that really, really got to me was this year, I started posting a lot more on IG and IG for whatever reason loves to post my content and push it out to like gym bros 
Like, they love, like, it's almost like some sick and twisted game. They love to push my content out to gym bros. And so it's so difficult because it's like, instead of going out to the people that I'm hoping that I'll go out to and, like, reach the people that I'm trying to reach, it's going out to people who are just, you know, like, are not my people. And so it's it's hard because, like, it almost made me not want to post anymore. Like, that's how bad it was getting. But I realized that at the end of the day, like, what people say, like, words hurt, but these people don't matter <laughs> to me. And it's like, yeah. I, I, I am enough and I am great. And, like, what I do is great. And I know that these people are just people that are not happy with themselves and are on this journey of, like, whatever journey they're on that just doesn't align with ours. And so I've learned that I'm going to keep posting because for every hundred hate comments, there's always going to be one person who needs this type of content. And so that's really what keeps me motivated. But for sure, to answer the question, it was easier in the beginning than it is now. Yeah. And that's so interesting. I think I can recognize what that shift you're talking about was where in 2020, we we had this really big influx in conversation around fat liberation and body mm-hmm. positivity and all of the stuff. And, you know, we were holding brands accountable and all of that stuff. And then it kind of just sizzled out. And mm-hmm. that's not really happening as often as it was. So I can imagine <laughs> that we would feel that shift, which is so infuriating because Um, it is so performative and I'm fucking tired of performative brands and performative people. Um, But, you know, I think one, I'm sorry that you're Mm -hmm. going through and having to deal with these, I'll say miserable, (laughs) miserable people online, because at the end of the day, that that is what it is. I feel like I'm always reminding myself and also my community of like anyone who is choosing to take time out of their day, their precious day, like our days are short, right? And someone who's taking time out of their day to troll you, to say rude things to you, clearly is going through something mentally. Yeah. And, you know, I think just like you said, remembering that like those people don't matter to you. Those are people that, you know, you're not spending your time and energy on them and they don't deserve to take up your time and energy. And they're just projecting and we don't have to, it sucks that people project and it sucks that we kind of have to be that sounding board a lot of times. Mm -hmm. I think just understanding like what you said. It doesn't define your worth and you are beautiful the way you are. And these people are just very unhappy, very unhappy people. And I feel bad for them. I feel, I feel very bad for these people who take time out of their day. And like, there's all this shit going on in the world, all this stuff happening. Yeah. And you're choosing to come to my page and post a gif of a whale. That's what you're choosing to do with your day. <laughs> exactly. They- I'm like, so sad it's it you hit it like right on the head it's it's a lot of projection and it it sucks because it's like we shouldn't live in a world where people project but i've always said people that hate people it has to do with a lot of the inside like a lot of what's going on in here and in here and so i've learned to try not to take it as personally as i used to or i have been and I just continue to make content. But it it's definitely been a struggle. And I think finding that 
balance of like feeling frustrated that you have to navigate those comments, Mm -hmm. but also choosing to want to still show up because you know that there are a lot of people who look up to you, who come to your page, who are like, okay, Naomi shows up today. I show up today. Or, you know, Naomi wears this today. I'm going to wear this today. And that's inspiring a lot of Mm -hmm. people. And I think because we live in a world where it is so easy for trolls to exist online, it makes spaces like yours and other safe spaces for other people so much more important. Um, Mm -hmm. Because, you know, we feel less alone in what we're going through. So I think that makes your space very, very empowering. Thank you. I, I really appreciate it. It's I feel like I know, but at the same time it's also great to hear. And I think like Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 hard, but mm-hmm. I'm I'm happy. I'm content. Yes. Okay, good. So to wrap things up, I have kind of one question which I kind of always ask in some okay. way or another with every guest. But what is one piece of advice you would give listeners, specifically listeners who are transitioning and who are going through a transition, whether they're younger or they're older or just going through a transition in general, what piece of advice would you give them in terms of navigating the difficult parts of that journey? I think my best advice that I can give someone who's transitioning in any part of their life is to do it authentically to you. I think a lot of times when we, when we, make transitions in our life, whether it's weight loss or tra- like other other transitions in life, sometimes it's not mm-hmm. always our own thoughts that are being put behind that transition. And I think that it's so crucial to make sure that you're doing what you want to do for yourself and that you're doing it authentically to you and not worried about what other people are going to say about it. Because at the end of the day, you have one life to live And it's just so important to show up for yourself. And we are going to end on that because that could not have been said more beautifully. (laughs) Naomi, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for sharing your story and opening up and just being so inspiring and vulnerable. I know it is not an easy thing to do. And, you know, that's something I really try to create here on the podcast Mm -hmm. is just allowing people to feel safe to open up and, you know, allowing them to be able to share, to share their journey and their story. And I'm so thankful we made this happen and you got to be here today. Yes. And you do it so well. So great. And I really, of course, I really appreciate it. I'm glad I was here. Of course. So before we wrap (laughs) things up, do you mind sharing with listeners where everyone can find you online to follow along? Yes. At Naomi HeartsXO across all social media platforms that I use. Amazing. And I'll put everything in the show notes so it's easy for listeners to find. And listeners, feel free, leave a rating or review. Um, If you resonated with today's episode, let us know. Screenshot you listening, tag Naomi and I, let us know what your thoughts are. We want to hear your feedback. Um, And thank you so much for being here. We'll see you all in the next episode. Bye. Bye.